1: Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today on China Corner Office, a podcast powered by SUPChina, the New York based news and information platform that helps the West read China between the lines. I'm Chris Marquis, a professor at Cornell's Business School. And today we'll be joined by Allison Schoenberg, who is Manager of Business Advisory Services at the US China Business Council, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization representing over 250 American companies doing business with China. Allison recently authored a report on government procurement in China, which really spurred my interest in the topic. While it may sound like a somewhat dry area, procurement policies are actually quite consequential in many respects, not only for American firms operating in China, but also for what they say more generally about the Chinese government and how its implementation of laws and regulations affect business. In many countries, government procurement is a big market And Allison discusses the impressive size, scope, and processes of how the Chinese government entities make purchases. But what the unique thing about China is, is that such policies also affect state-owned enterprises, also known as SOEs, which are among the biggest and most influential companies in the world. For instance, of the 124 Chinese companies listed on Fortune's Global 500 Index, Over 70% are SOEs. While China has not joined the WTO Government Procurement Agreement, or GPA, uh, which requires companies to provide equal treatment to foreign and domestic suppliers when it comes to procurement, during its ascension into the WTO, China committed that all SOEs would make purchases and sales based solely on commercial considerations, and that foreign companies interested in selling to SOEs would be subject to non-discriminatory terms and conditions. Thus, as we discuss, these recent trends in discourse coming from Beijing on self-sufficiency, growing nationalism, and more generally a focus on buy China, are in many ways in violation of the international agreements that China has signed on As such, you know, this topic relates to more general issues that firms encounter when doing business in China, specifically the gap between formal policies and how they are actually implemented on the ground. Both the laws on the books and state council statements suggest that in procurement, there should be no restrictions based on the type of ownership of suppliers, nationality of investors, or brands of products and services. However, as Allison describes, that is not what is happening, and there are a number of ways that governments at different levels and SOEs are able to execute an implicit Buy China policy. I will link to Allison's USCBC report in the show notes, and I encourage you to take a look, not only for more on these issues but also how American companies are dealing with this situation, which is also a topic of discussion in the episode. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy the show. Allison, welcome to China Corner Office.
0: Great. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Great. Um, Well, you know, read your report, and I think it's a super interesting commentary, both on sort of commerce and markets in China, and also as it relates to international competition, US-China trade. Uh, so the first thing I'd really like to just dive into is just to s- sort of get a sense of the government procurement market in China. You know, What all does it entail? You know, what sort of products and services are most important? Also, you know, the general scope and size of it. So, so if you just give us a little bit of background on the procurement market in China.
0: Sure. So the government procurement market basically refers to the purchase of goods, services, and projects using public funds. And that can refer to a broad swath of of products. And the market is a really large one for a lot of USCBC members. Uh, It grew to around $470 billion in 2019. And if you include sales to state-owned enterprises or SOEs, the market is much larger. We only have access to data on central SOE procurement, but from 2019 to mid 2020, the SOE procurement market was valued at over 2 trillion US dollars, so pretty huge. And the scale of China's public procurement market, including both government entities and SOEs, is quite large, as I just mentioned, um, compared to that of other countries, um, mostly owing to the sheer number and scale of SOEs in China. Um, Just to give you an idea of the 124 Chinese companies listed on the Fortune Global 500 list, over 70% of SOEs. So that gives you a little indication of their global influence and size.
1: Yeah, that's really uh, so interesting. It's something I think that most people probably don't don't realize that, you know, around the world, you know, governments have their procurement processes, you know, at the central government level, state, uh, local levels, you know, what have you. Uh, But in China, that actually really then ends up extending to a large population of sort of these quasi-private firms, these, these sort of SOEs, which in most other countries, you know, things like utilities, telecom, financial companies would actually be in the private sector. So I think this is, you know, something that's really important to understand. I'd love to dive into a little bit more on these SOEs in a bit. But first, maybe we could talk a little bit about how the process works. Is this like submitting bids? How does the decision process work? If you could just give a little bit of background on actually you know, how these procurement processes work.
0: Of course, uh, China's government procurement system and public procurement system more broadly is underpinned by two laws. The government procurement law and the tendering and bidding law, both of which regulate the purchase of products using public funds, but have different administrators. The Ministry of Finance enforces the government procurement law which basically regulates government entities, procurement of goods, projects, and services. And the National Development and Reform Commission administers the tendering and bidding law, which has a broader scope, um, including SOE procurement activities and procurement and construction and public works projects. So what happens is goods and services that are eligible for procurement are listed in procurement catalogs at different levels of government depending on whether funding comes from central or local budgets. And to briefly describe the tendering process, which is virtually the same for government entities and SOEs, the procuring agent issues a public tendering announcement. Usually it's on government websites or news outlets, somewhere where everyone can see it. There's a pre-qualification process where the procurer can require bidders to provide documents um, certifying their qualifications ahead of the actual tendering process then the procuring agent releases more specific information. So documents with technical requirements, product specs, how they plan to assess bidders, contract terms, these sorts of things. Then suppliers have um, at least 20 days to submit their bids. And once all the bids are submitted, the procuring entity organizes an evaluation committee made up mostly of industry experts who can judge the product's quality, its price, uh, and how well they adhere to certain predetermined criteria. And they submit a recommendation once they've made a decision to the procuring agent who then notifies the winner and they draft up a contract. So that's the process in a nutshell.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. So one of the things that really caught my eye about your report is that in in more recent years, sort of non-Chinese firms have been having you know a little bit more trouble with this system as vis-a-vis their their local competitors and i think you know if you r- sort of see the news coming out of beijing i mean it's you know self-sufficiency you know i don't know they say say buy local but i mean this idea of self-sufficiency certainly you know, embodies the idea that we're gonna be buying from Chinese companies. Uh how is that expressed in the bidding as far as the different criteria? Is it, you know, we're, you know, you see it in the US, um, you know, we're looking to I mean, I think in some local government procurement they have, you know, special categories for like women-owned or black-owned or NGO bidders. Is there specific language that, you know, we want to, we want Chinese companies, especially?
0: Sure. So first I just say, I think there are two conflicting narratives going on in China right now. One is at the highest levels of government, they've included language in the foreign investment law and other implementing regulations saying that China will provide uh, fair treatment, equal treatment to products offered by foreign invested enterprises that conduct manufacturing in China. And they insist that that's being implemented on the ground. But on the other side, we see several pieces of evidence indicating that there are buy China mandates um, in several localities. Mm So some procuring entities explicitly state that they won't accept imported products and tendering documents, but others express their preferences a bit more informally, making it clear Mm -hmm. that they're only interested in local brands at some point during the bidding process. So sometimes they require industry certifications that are only available to majority-owned Chinese companies that are headquartered in China, or other times they back out of procurement deals seemingly at the last minute because of pressure to select a domestic supplier. Uh, One example that comes to mind for me based on my conversations with companies is from some specialized industrial equipment manufacturers. And they've told me that recent tenders they've participated in required bidders to get a certificate from an industry association called the China Machinery Industry Federation that showed their technology is locally developed. But Mm -hmm. when they contacted the federation, they were told the certification isn't available to foreign brands unless they're part of a joint venture that where the Chinese partner has majority ownership. So basically, the customer had set criteria that would be impossible for many foreign invested companies to meet. And some foreign companies, if they conduct manufacturing in China, they find that their products can be considered domestic or locally manufactured if they have a JV partner, as I just Mm -hmm. mentioned, with majority ownership, or if they've received certain certifications But their products are often not considered domestic or made in China because they're affiliated with a foreign brand. It's a sad fact. But there's a lot of variation in how government entities and how SOEs do interpret the term made in China because China doesn't have a definition for a domestic product with a specific local content threshold.
1: That's very interesting. And I I wonder um, along those lines, you know, I know like in the WTO agreement, there's certain government procurement, uh, which China may not have signed on to. But but for the SOEs that we're talking about, I assume that they should be adhering to market-based criteria, not by local criteria. Uh, Is that correct?
0: Sure. So China, when it acceded to the WTO, committed that the Chinese government would not interfere in procurement decisions of SOEs and that SOE procurement decisions would be made purely on a commercial basis. So wouldn't be made on the basis of the nationality of a product, the nationality of the manufacturer itself. Um, And I believe they also committed that uh, foreign companies interested in selling to SOEs would be able to do so on a fair competitive basis with no discrimination.
1: Interesting. So it seems that that might not be a being followed exactly, can you can you That's say a little right. bit more about about the the government side of that? I mean, I know that there is this, you know, as a GPA uh, where China has not signed on, but I think in the past they've signaled that in the future they they would be signing on.
0: Sure. So China has submitted several bids in the past um, in attempting in an attempt to join the WTO's government procurement agreement. And each time they've created a slightly more comprehensive bid. They last submitted a bid, I believe, in 2019, and they increased the um, number of government entities and SOEs that are subject to government uh, government procurement agreement compliance should China actually exceed. But it seems pretty unlikely that that offer will be accepted by the majority of GPA member countries and regions because even though it is an improvement on last on previous bids, I think they still want China to submit something even more comprehensive with more coverage of SOEs and also limiting some transitional measures that China has incorporated that are usually subject to developing countries that need a little bit more time to implement or fully implement their commitments post-accession
1: got it um i'm really you know like this soe idea or sort of soe component to it is really particularly interesting uh to me given these are actually you know many of them part of their company is sold on public markets some of them in, you know in in the us i think still uh, is there any specific examples that you heard from soes where they were following this government procurement process, which you know ostensibly is you know in in violation of the WTO guidelines.
0: Sure. Um, so, I just want to clarify: they don't technically follow the same legal criteria and laws that government entities do. As I mentioned earlier, right. they're not subject to the government procurement law, but they are subject to the tendering and bidding law and are subject to China's WTO commitments. But right. definitely a few examples come to mind, um, especially in uh, the ICT sector, healthcare sector, some advanced technology and equipment. Um, so I guess in the ICT sector specifically, um, a few companies mentioned to us, and they've run into this scenario several different times, particularly recently, that they've participated in procurement tenders, and they found out that they ranked first on All comprehensive metrics, so technical quality, adherence to specifications, price, all these criteria, but they still ultimately lose the bid. And that shouldn't happen. So they've asked the customer why this has happened, um, because they should have been recommended by the expert committee. But the customers say that the expert committee hasn't made the decision, basically implying that a higher government authority or a third party has influenced the final decision. And in some cases, too, we've heard that at the last minute, um, certain local players, either SOEs or or private companies as well, will kind of inject themselves into the negotiating process, Mm -hmm. uh, lobby on their behalf, and also kind of co-opt some government rhetoric that SOEs should be sourcing more from local Chinese companies, not from foreign companies. So they have an obligation to consider a local company over a foreign invested or foreign company.
1: Wow, very interesting. Uh, This might be beyond the scope of your report, but I'm not sure if you heard anything about, you know, in the last you know year or two, there's been a lot of, in some ways, pressure, particularly on IT companies, to actually take state investment, to actually have a stronger state ownership, add people from the government or party to the to the board of directors. Was there any examples of actually private firms also being more interested in? in procuring uh, from China-only suppliers? Or is this only something you're seeing in the government and SOE sectors?
0: Um, So I would say the scope of this report was mostly focused on asking U.S. companies about their experiences selling to government entities and SOEs. So it goes a bit beyond the scope of the report. But I think it's fair to say that there is a general trend in China toward domestic substitution. And it seems to be coming from the highest levels of government. And we do see some troubling trends that this was initially just guidance that was provided to government entities and SOEs in sensitive sectors like aerospace, telecom, um, sectors that have a clear connection to national security. But it seems like requirements to increase the share of procurement budgets that are allocated toward procurement of domestic products and components Mm -hmm. seems to be extending to even more sectors of SOEs specifically that don't really have a clear connection to national security. Like financial services is one example that I was hearing. Um, So it seems like, should it continue in this trend, that it very well could apply to parts of the private sector or at the very least a broader swath of SOE's in what could be considered non-sensitive sectors.
1: Yeah. Wow. Interesting. but not surprising, I, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned the ICT sector, and this is something also, you know, that's in the news, but potentially having legitimate security concerns, um, you know, but potentially also, you know, really trying to not be beholden in some ways to the U.S. or other countries, you know, like Semiconductor is an example of this, how there's been a big push to replace, you know, non, you know, sort of, or... Non-Chinese sources, like from the U.S. Uh, or Korea or, or wherever or Taiwan, to um, to, um, to for for, for phones, etc. So, can you say a little bit specifically about how you're seeing these processes unfold in the um, in the ICT sector?
0: Sure. So, I guess one specific systematic substitution efforts. I think that's kind of what you're getting at in the ICT sector specifically, is we've heard from several companies that SOE customers, as well as government entities, have been given official guidance from the central government to gradually increase the share of their procurement budgets that goes toward domestic products and components over the next three years, so from 2020 to 2022. And seems to have been circulated, as I I kind of alluded to before, with SOEs in aerospace, healthcare, energy, and other sectors intimately related to national security. Um, But as I mentioned before, it it could, it looks like it's beginning to apply to a broader swath of sectors like financial services. Um, And this isn't just something we're seeing in ICT as well. We're also starting to see it in healthcare, where Mm -hmm. there's also been some recent public reporting that the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology and the Ministry of Finance have sent local content requirements in in the form of a list that public hospitals, SOEs and government agencies across China have to consult before purchasing over 300 pieces of medical and testing equipment. Wow. And for each product there are specific percentage local content requirements ranging from 0 to 100% depending on the product.
1: Wow, that's yeah, it seems to be really sort of spreading to many many different sectors. I mean, it's interesting to think, you know, you know, healthcare What the, you know, you would want to have actually the the most, you know, the, the highest quality, best care, um, you know, you know, regardless. So that's, that's, that's a surprising, um, development. I'm curious. Uh, so wow, you've painted this really interesting picture, I think of how this extends, you know, from the government to SOEs increasingly to a, you know, very diverse set of industries. Uh, so, American companies or non-Chinese companies are in general, how are they actually dealing with this issue? You mentioned JVs as one potential workaround, but what are some of the other strategies that these companies are doing to try to not be stymied by the, these changes?
0: Sure. So obviously, as you mentioned, the, working with a local partner is probably the biggest strategy. Um, right. And this can take a couple of different forms. One, obviously, as you mentioned Involves forming joint ventures with majority Chinese ownership, which are more likely to be successful in government procurement and sales to SOEs. Um, But another involves absorbing local distributors that can negotiate on the foreign parent company's behalf. Um, In some cases, I've known companies that have purchased local distributors and have them step in at the last minute to sign procurement contracts. So Chinese customers basically have some political cover and can officially do business with a Chinese brand as opposed to a foreign-invested enterprise. And in these cases, the foreign parent usually manages almost every other step of the process. They do pre-contract communications and negotiations, and they only bring in the local distributor to sign the contract. Um, And I know some healthcare equipment suppliers have considered... Um, Kind of a special scheme in China. So working with local manufacturers through China's market authorization holder system, which essentially allows a company to maintain ownership of its products, but delegate production to a local contract manufacturer. But Mm -hmm. obviously, there are some reservations about these strategies because of concerns about tech transfer and IP infringement when companies enter into these sorts of relationships. So for some, it's kind of a non-starter, but they're definitely considering these kind of strategies. Then another pretty common approach companies take, um, apart from forming you know, equity-based relationships with Chinese companies, is to just generally maximize their local manufacturing presence, form str- more strategic informal partnerships with local universities and research institutes, pay local taxes, expand local R&D and hiring, and basically try to address some SOEs and government Entities' concerns about the long term reliability of US suppliers. Mm. So, and as I mentioned before, they also can receive industry certifications, um, things that label their products as locally manufactured, like cryptography and other security certifications if they're in the ICT sector or pretty much across sectors. You can also get written endorsements from certain municipal and provincial governments. Um, this only applies to companies, obviously, that conduct manufacturing in China, but it's, it's definitely an option. Then the last thing I'd say is that if none of these strategies are really working and there's still issues, in terms of addressing persistent issues in government procurement and sales to SOEs, a lot of companies say that escalating to provincial government leaders is their best strategy and resource. So in some cases, when companies have raised issues about exclusion or unfair treatment as foreign brands, officials have addressed the issues with local customers and, you know, or forced certain departments to take back unfair or discriminatory guidance. So I'm given to understand that in a couple of cases I've heard from companies, they're often not aware of the issues prior to them having been raised because most government procurement guidance comes from specific departments like the municipal health security department rather than provincial leaders themselves, and they just don't have oversight over certain issues. So if you escalate to a different level of government or a higher level of government, you are more likely to have your specific company's issue remedied.
1: That's really interesting. And, and I guess, yeah, I could see cases of that, but in some ways would have been the opposite that I might have thought. I mean, if you think about like the different rationale, why there would be this, in some ways, discrimination against non-Chinese companies. I mean, you mentioned, you know, sort of long-term reliability of supply, you know, with the trade war and increasing tensions. I mean, I could see that being an issue. Related to that, though, it might just be like a perception issue of whoever, wherever they're, you know, sending the, you know, they're reporting on components and uh, et cetera, having a, American firms on there might actually not look as good. So they might be worried about the perception of it. Uh, in that case, going to the higher ups, you would think they would be supportive, but, but you know, you're saying that actually supportive of the local leaders, but you're saying this, the upper level folks will, will re- reverse the decision in some way, where, and another potential issue is just trying to build up the expertise and manufacturing of Chinese companies, which a lot of these things like JVs purchasing local distributors, I think helps with that. You know, it helps, you know, you have to watch after the, I'm sure these companies are watching after tech tech transfer, but I think, you know, a long-term strategy is really trying to, you know, build up the human capital technical expertise of the domestic players. So, yeah. So it's really interesting that if they escalate it, that it's somehow that, that supports their, you know, they, they get it reversed because I would have thought they wouldn't have, that wouldn't have helped.
0: Sure. And I would say, I would clarify that it probably doesn't work in every instance, but I've definitely heard instances where it can be successful. And I think beyond just escalating, I think companies just have to get creative about how they engage. If they're facing issues with one part of a local government, either escalating or turning to a different level of government can be more successful. Um, so I think just trying to get creative, if you're not having particular success, airing your complaint with a particular government stakeholder, turning to another one, you're more likely to be successful that way.
1: Great. Well, you know, just one more question I have for you is what do you see in the future for this system and will it continue to focus more on domestic or do you think is there areas where there's more potential for non-Chinese of companies to be making inroads?
0: Uh, sure. So it's not super clear what the future will look like for China's public procurement market. A lot will depend on whether China joins the government procurement agreement with meaningful concessions, how China decides to go about pursuing technology self-sufficiency and self-reliance, and whether U.S.-China relations improve, too. Um, it seems pretty unlikely, at least as far as the GPA is concerned, that China will join anytime soon. Its current bid, as I previously mentioned, isn't likely to succeed because GPA members want China to provide more meaningful access to SOE procurement and remove references to special treatment traditionally reserved for developing countries that would basically allow them to delay commitments after accession. And it's also worth noting that making these concessions and making China's government procurement market more open may actually not be in China's best interest in the long term especially given its drive toward technology self-sufficiency. And I noticed in its draft revised government procurement law, China actually said that supporting innovation is now a key goal of government procurement. So China wants to support Chinese brands, especially those in technology and advanced manufacturing, and government procurement is now a key vehicle to do that. So as long as self-reliance, supply chain security, and Supporting the development of these advanced industries in China are high priorities. It may be difficult to improve the procurement environment or allow more space for foreign companies. And the last thing I'd say is this doesn't apply as much to other foreign companies, but for U.S. companies specifically, the environment also really depends on U.S.-China relations. So if they deteriorate or continue to deteriorate, sourcing from U.S. suppliers could become even more politically sensitive than it is now for government entities and SOEs. So, workarounds like bidding through a local partner might not be sufficient over the long term to address some of these concerns.
1: Really interesting. And I think this is one of the, re- you know, as you, these concluding remarks, I think really were one of the reasons why I thought it was so interesting and important to talk to you, because there is, in some ways, I feel like this tension where, you know, there's global norms. And policies, in some ways, and international agreements that suggest that the Chinese companies should be buying in a much more egalitarian, market-based way. However, you see the discourse and the interest in really being self-sufficient that sort of cuts against that, you know, sort of global processes. So, so. So that's not very encouraging, I don't think, to to U.S. companies, (laughs) but but I think it's the potential reality of what the future, at least the near-term future, holds. So, so thank you so much, Allison. Really great to learn more about this uh, this report.
0: Right. Sorry to leave on such a bleak note, but yeah, it's been a pleasure. (laughs)